Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Uh, okay, this is awkward, but this bike says he'd appreciate it if you removed his skull pattern saddlebags. He feels self-conscious about them around all the other bikes, and he says you're not fooling anyone. You mostly ride with your golfing buddies. <laughs> Listen, I'm just the messenger here. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. I think you made yourself clear. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And with me, as always, someone who's pretty skeptical of the whole thing, but this year, maybe not. We'll see how it turns out. Kristen Suttered. How's it going, Kristen? Hello. It's good. I really... Things have changed. This ballot is a game changer, and I can't believe that I said that. Okay. And we're very excited to have our guest with us. You might know him from the Mountain Goats. It's John Darneal. Hi, John. What's happening? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, so as Kristen mentioned, we have a very interesting ballot this year and one that feels like a long time coming because, you know, the Rock Hall I don't even know where to begin with the issues of the Rock Hall, but this ballot seems like a step in the right direction. Who's the ballot? There's 16 artists on the ballot. Here's what I will do is I will actually screen share. Oh, perfect. An image of it. Oh, yeah. All right, there we are. So we have Mary J. Blige, Kate Bush, Devo, the Foo Fighters, the Go-Go's, Iron Maiden, Jay-Z, Shaka Khan, the Immortal, the Amazing, the Absolutely Most Deserving, Carol King, Fela Kuti, LL Cool J, the New York Dolls, Actually, listen to a, a rare David Johansson track on my jog today. Rage, not rare, but uh, not as common. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, Todd Rundgren, about whom people will feel very passionately, Tina Turner, and of course, the unimpeachable Dion Warwick. So, pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good list this yeah, year. You know, especially, pretty, there's a lot of stuff I like in there, yeah. Especially for an institution that has kind of dragged its heels when it comes to inducting women, to inducting very recent years people of color. It's definitely a, a step in the right direction, course correcting on so some Ru- level. Rufus is not included in Shaka Khan's nomination? They go back and forth with Rufus and Shaka. You know, the past three years, it was Rufus and Shaka. The two years before that, it was Shaka solo. Here's the thing, Shaka deserves it, but those Rufus records are some of the greatest records ever made. I yeah. mean, like, many of them are, are uh, engineered by Bruce Sweden, right, uh, who's a legendary engineer, and they're some of the best sounding records you can find. You get into a used vinyl bin, and get uh, get camouflage by Rufus, right, uh, for three bucks, and you will hear what have one of the most astonishing sonic experiences of your life. Those are like those are all time records. So, so yeah, that's not who we're here to talk about. But I want to. Yeah, well, you know oh, the yeah. thing with Rufus. Rufus is an amazing 
you know, multi-ethnic band in the 70s doing the thing, uh, them and war were kind of holding down this corner of like, what if rock was bigger? What if rock was in conversation with the soul chart? With the time soul, the exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, both those groups are interesting because they both were born out of 60s, almost like pop rock groups. Yeah. Uh, Rufus coming out of American Breed and War coming out of the animals and then turning into something completely different. Yeah. Uh, what War becomes is a mirror. Are they in the hall? War is not in the hall. They've been nominated well, a few times. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the struggle with Rufus versus Shaka Khan, I think there's a good argument that, you know, put both of them in the way you put in Fleetwood Mac yeah. and Stevie Nicks separately uh, with a band and a solo artist. But I think Rufus, the, like you said, the catalog is probably richer. Yeah. But Shaka has the name recognition. He has giant hits. Well, that's, that's, that's a personal hobby horse of mine. Is like, you'll know, I'm in a band called The Mountain Goats. I, I didn't put my full name on a record for like the first five years in the business because I have strong opinions about cults of personality and auteur theory. You know, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, when somebody says, oh, he played all the instruments himself, the engineers himself, maybe Prince does that sometimes, but most of the people like Beefheart and stuff making claims like that are just pushing a line about, about male genius that I'm really not mm -hmm. into at all, you know? So yeah, when I see a single name, I like the first thing I think is like, who else was behind you that helped make you that helped make those records? You know, mm -hmm. so, so I'm. I, it's like Rufus and Shaka was going to be great no matter what, but those Rufus records are, are immortal. So when you are a Rock Hall voter, that means you get a ballot and you get to pick five five artists. Now let's play. Uh, John Darnielle is a Rock Hall voter. You get a ballot. Who would you fill out? Um, I mean, Dion. That's who I'm here to talk about. Uh, I'll. I mean. She's such an Im immense figure for me that I, that I have to ask about the Hall of Fame's functions. What's rock and roll? Dionne Warwick does not really make rock and roll, right? Dionne Warwick makes pop music uh, of an extraordinarily high stripe. But I think this is the only place we can honor people. Like it has to. This has to be the pop, rock, and non, you know, sort of post nineteen forty five non swing music Hall of Fame. Right? <laughs> um, so Dionne goes in for me, and it's all. It's always hard to split between questions of what do I like best? Like if it was the five I like best on here, it'd be Dion, the New York Dolls, Fela, Shaka, and Maiden, right? Mm -hmm. Without question. And then I would feel very guilty about leaving Devo off, right? Uh, and Carol King, I mean, I, mean, I don't see how Carol King doesn't make it. Carol King is a figure of, of immense, immense importance to the history of rock and roll. That The number of hits she has on her, on her resume before she makes Tapestry, it's just like God level stuff. It's like, she's, that is a monster of an artist. So she absolutely belongs. So if I'm picking who, rather than just whose records I like best, it's gotta be Carol King. It's gotta be Dion. I'm a baseball fan. It's like, I think Jay-Z gets in eventually, but does he need to be here now? You know what I mean? It's like, he's still out there making moves, you right. know? So I don't know if he's a, is this his first time on the ballot? This, this is his is first, first yeah. year eligible so and nominated. So it's, but it, in a way, you know, kind of like in hall parlance, it's like to get in on your, to be nominated your first year eligible. And then to get in is just kind of like cements your legend status. Yeah. That's the same in baseball. If you get in on the first ballot and boxing too, if you get on the first ballot, that means everybody knew you're going no question. Like you deserve it. And with Jay-Z, I mean, his legacy is secure. It's hard. It's hard to to say he doesn't belong in there, but mm -hmm. but he's also still out there working. You know, he's like. Whereas mm -hmm. we're not hearing more Fela records. I would say Carol, Fela, Dion, 
Iron Maiden belongs in part because the Hall has done very little to uh, talk about the massive contribution of heavy metal to our culture. And, and Iron Maiden is absolutely one of the most important bands in heavy metal. Um, and then Shaka, I would say, but that feels, and Shaka is niche for me. It's like, then when I look at that, I go, word, you put in Shaka ahead of Devo? Because Devo was game-changing music. I mean, Devo introduces a lot of parlance of motoric, you know, of, of, of stuff that had been going on. Is Kraftwerk in the hall yet? Kraftwerk is not in the hall. No, they've been nominated many times and they cannot break through with the voters. What are you? Yeah. (laughs) Like I say, I'm kind of a hater anyway, but like if Kraftwerk is not in the hall of fame, then nobody's in the hall of fame. (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, and you could ask, you go to Detroit and ask the model 500 guys, ask Galtra Lustwerk, man, those guys belong. You know, it's like they, they introduce a vocabulary, the same as Carol King, you know, it's like, I don't believe in absolute originators. You know, I think everything starts from somewhere else. I'm not, you know, I really, I dislike the idea of like the guy who invented it or the woman who invented it and then everybody copied. It's like everything comes from somewhere else. But Kraftwerk is almost as close as you can get to, well, they were the people who said we don't have to have guitars. Or really traditional instruments. Yeah. Or to take it even further. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and they make Autobahn. They say, hey, our single is 16 minutes long, guys. Is that cool with you? (laughs) And everybody loves it, you know, and and they stuck to their guns and made music of lasting importance, but they're not on this ballot. So I know my drummer would want to lobby for the Uh, Go-Go's. The the Mm Go-Go's, people who love the Go-Go's are massively. I I was in Southern California at the time. It's pretty hard to to overstate what a, a massively, one, important band they were both if you wanted to see women all doing it themselves, you know, which was amazing, but also, I mean, those records are incredibly solid. The first two Go-Go records are, are just landmarks, you know. But yeah. I mean, leave the New York Dolls out, considering that, I mean, this is where my friend Mark Sinker uh, considers the word influence absolutely toxic because influence seems to posit that there was, that the guy said, I think I'll make something influential. I think I'll influence something. <laughs> when in fact, influence it's the influencee who does the work, right? The influencee is the person who listens and goes, ah, I, you know, I could take this blues progression and make the four minor and make it more doomy, right? And that's what Black Sabbath does, right? So it's the person being influenced who really does the creative work of working with the source text, right? So, so the idea of influence is kind of toxic. It sort of posits this weird paternal relationship between the, the people who do try stuff first, you know? But mm-hmm. having said that, the New York Dolls are a game-changing band, right? The New York Dolls, without them, there is no Sex Pistols. Malcolm McLaren sees the New York Dolls. He says, I could do that, and I could do it better with some snotty British kids. And he goes over, and the whole the music has changed, right? And so so the Dolls, I don't know. I'm a Teenage Dolls fan, too, from back when. It's yeah. how good the ballad is. It's a right, very... So this is what I, we're saying. Really we <laughs> have, we these... have... Normally, it's like there are... I'm struggling. I'm scraping five in. I'm figuring out who which five I like the best. This ballot is just so full of worthy inductees. Yeah, and we've determined also that, at least from our perspective, the thing to do when you can't figure out who your five is, then you err on the side of how can I help this institution to move forward and to balance out some of their injustices, which is to err on the side of inducting more women like we do. Inclusion, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. To be more inclusive. It's actually a possibility on the ballot when in years, very, very recent years, it has sadly not been yeah it's uh, I mean, you look at some of these names it's like i think you know 
well, it was my friends. I'm not a big Kate Bush person, but if it's my friends, Kate Bush makes it in immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely gaga. This is what's going to happen. The morning after the vote happens, I'm going to open up my phone. I'm going to see the news. I'm going to go, Maiden didn't get in. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a likely scenario. Uh, and, and you're right. No, they're not. They're not going to make it because the, because yeah. the, the hall doesn't actually care about it. It's probably Ian Christ, you know, I, I, it's Christy. I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but it's, there's probably one or two metal journalists I think Metal Mike actually is one of the one of the guys who the guy who may well have coined the term. But I mean, it's probably a few very passionate journalists going. Iron Maiden is a band of seismic importance to the history of this music, which now informs culture at every level. I mean, it's sort of like yeah, I mean, they're hugely important. So uh, I think they're going to get in eventually. I often say that I think they are the second most famous metal band. You ask someone to name a metal Sabbath. band, they name Metallica, and then they name Iron Maiden. Sabbath I think they right. will get in. Sabbath, yeah, Sabbath I, is up there. Are they in? Yes, yeah, yeah. Sabbath got in, but you know they had a long road to get in. Judas Priest in? Judas Priest was on the ballot last year. last year. So was Motorhead. So was Thin Lizzy, and they all. <laughs> okay, so to the for the they split the metal vote I mean, last year. Not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, then there's not really any rock and roll in there. <laughs> like Thin Lizzy is a band of such massive. I, I, oh my god! <laughs> like Phil Linnett, the only only black guy on that scene at that time, doing that kind of double double guitar, you know, holding holding and writing some of the greatest, most lasting songs that anybody can identify inside of two guitar licks. It's uh, in heavy metal. It's a it's a difficult uh, road, I think, especially because of, like you said, the at-large musical critical community, which comprises a lot of the voting body. And then also a lot of the voting body is inducted artists. And I don't think heavy metal really gets its due from the other genres. What's funny about that is like, that's one of my own personal things is like, people always ask me, well, when are you going to make a heavy metal record? You like so much heavy metal. It's like, I can't play that kind of music. Right? I just like to listen to that kind of music. And from getting this question a lot, I've gotten the sense that there are a lot of artists who the music they listen to is the kind of music they make, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't go outside their backyard in that sense. And that's like an incomprehensible position. I mean, music is like this incredible accident that we are so blessed to have. And it's infinite. You will go to your grave knowing about a quarter of a millionth of 1% of it, right? Mm -hmm. And you would go, oh, I just listen to what I make, basically. <laughs> yeah, right? That's one of the things I do like about the Rock Hall, even though it, it struggles with certain genres, is that you can wind up with a class and specifically an induction ceremony with artists from a wide array of different genres, sometimes on stage at the same time. And I don't think you get to see that very often. It's funny. I think both Morello and uh, the singer uh, from Rage, what's his name? Zach, Zach De Zach De La Rosa. Those are great dudes, right? And and they made some good sides, but there's their position there sort of feels like, are they standing in for something? I don't know that they have like, and shouldn't you have at least three albums that people go, oh, that's an absolute stone classic to, or or a dozen in the case of Carol King, say yeah. one such album. <laughs> And, and 20 singles that, you know, that everybody knows, you know? Yeah. I mean, the key to, I mean, I do think rage are, are worthy. And I think the, you know, battle of Los Angeles and their self-titled are definitely Those are big classics. Records. And yeah. in terms of what they did in terms of like kind of creating a genre and being a massively popular political band, I think are all well, the creating a genre. When, when's fishbone going to get again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. I guess what I mean, what I mean, that's a good, thank you for calling that out. Popularizing a, a new, new-ish genre but i i think one of the keys that uh you're looking for is that tom morello is on the nominating committee 
Oh, <laughs> I think that, I think that's the missing puzzle piece here. There it is. You know what? You gotta you gotta get me in there because I know band called <laughs> Mountain Goats absolutely. <laughs> Those guys made some tapes you would not believe. <laughs> you know, I do think you would be a great addition to not just the nominating committee, but even just the voting body, because yeah. I think a good Rock Hall voter should not just be in their own lane. They should have a wide array of interests and music loves, because then you can adequately you know, evaluate a ballot like this. I'm, I'm going to tell you what the Pitchfork headline says two days after I'm on that committee. Darnell booted from Rock and Roll Hall of Fame committee. Either cheer accident gets in or I walk, he says. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we, we've already gotten a little bit of your Hall opinions through talking about who is not in. But I'm curious, yeah. a lot of people, the Hall is a peripheral thing. You see the announcement, you read about yeah. it, and then you, you curse the skies or whatever. I'm curious what your reference level is for the Hall in general. So, I mean, I haven't been. I haven't, haven't visited it. And I mainly do think about it in terms of what it could do for bands like the Dramatics and the Spinners, for bands especially who, I mean, this could, I, I always talk about this like it was an old time phenomenon when the Taylor Swift case points out to us that it's not. People used to get contracts. I mean, look, I can speak to this personally. When I got a contract, and it was a good contract about which I have no complaints at all, but in 2001, I signed to 4AD. And there was a very small, the smallest five figures you could ever see. But I had never seen five figures in my life, mm -hmm. right? And I was like, I'm signing this today because I don't have any money, right? And so I need this right now. You know, I need this to pay my bills. So I signed it. Now, if it had been a bad contract, I would have signed it, right? It's like, yeah. you know, I absolutely would have signed it. And prior to the, I want to say the 80s or 90s, the likelihood, especially that Black artists were going to be signing contracts that were just trash, you know, that were just like, you know, you give us your music, we give you $500. Pretty cool, right? You know, all these blues <laughs> artists, Howling Wolf, all these guys, they, you know, they didn't have managers and they needed money. And so they signed it away. They're like, what do I care? I need money today. I don't have to think about owning my masters. I don't have to think about being able to further exploit my intellectual property and all these things that are very unfun to think about. Well, many of those artists, especially black artists from the 60s and 70s, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is their chance to say to a promoter, what do you mean with offering me this guarantee? I'm in the goddamn Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's even when they can't tour anymore, they can still go to memorabilia conventions and so forth and command a certain amount per signed eight by 10 and stuff like that. All that stuff is really important. It's not important to me personally because I'm an indie rock guy. I will not be going to any conventions and signing an eight by 10. You won't be going to the, you know, Pitchfork 2045 uh, <laughs> memorabilia convention. Get, getting me convention. to play a festival is literally like pulling teeth from an ogre. <laughs> People have to beg like, JD, come on, it'll be fun. And they're always lying. I think about some of my very favorite acts, like the Spinners is the one I always name. It's like the Spinners made some of the most amazing records ever, especially the stuff that he with Tom Bell and and these bands the spinners the dramatics war I assume Earth Wind and Fire is in the hall yeah that is correct yeah, yeah. Well, bands like these you know especially with EWF so Maurice White is no longer with us right but the guys from EWF can still throw down they need to be able to ask for the biggest guarantee they can get and they need to have the grounds on which to ask for that and this works well with when they want to do placements and ads and all the, and on movies your manager is going to go no, you're not paying me peanuts for cool in the gang for celebration, right? 
mm-hmm. because they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Are they or no? They're no. not. Cool and the Gang specifically has been the one, when I get a chance on occasion to talk to somebody on the nominating committee, that is the one I try to push for. Yeah, agreed. Oh, well, the spinners also are not in. They've been correct? nominated They've a few been times. nominated a no, I know because I was furious when they didn't make it last time. I mean, get their box set. The amount of groundwork. And these guys were working club circuit stuff. Now, or artists like me, we rent a bus and the bus is like, this is a bus company whose job is to drive musicians around. And it's, it's nice enough, you know, as, as living on a bus goes. Back in those days, it was a school bus that you bought <laughs> oh. because it wasn't safe to drive children in anymore. Right? Oh my God. <laughs> so you the bus and you slapped a thing on the side that said the spinners and you, you tricked it out and then you went out and you lived in it. You slept in it. It was not fun. And then you had to be having fun on stage every night, working seven nights a week because every single day off is money down the drain. And these guys put in the the work. Yeah, that's a great band. They belong. I think the the spinners had haven't been on the ballot in, in maybe like five years. You know, sometimes you you take a little time off and you put them back on the ballot, and then it, now it resonates with people. There, there's a thing I always think of in this connection because I think what's probably stopping the spinners from getting in and war and these bands is this what I was talking about this toxic idea of influence, which is next to another toxic idea of importance. That's what halls of fame are all about: is what's important. So here's the thing I always think of that KRS One once said: We talk about the history of hip hop, and we talk about about Grandmaster Flash, and we talk about Queensbridge, you know, we talk about all these people and places. But but these this music was born at block parties inside projects in Queens. And there was a guy there with a block of ice. He had got the idea to sell snow cones because it was going to be a big party outside. It was the middle of summer. Well, that guy was there. He contributed. He was a big part of it. If the snow cone man wasn't there, the party was nowhere near as good. Where's his <laughs> name on the Hall of Fame? interview once. And of course, it's like, in part, it's a playful point because, you know, are you going to put the vendor in the (laughs) Hall of Fame? Well, no, but that exposes something about Halls of Fame. It's like, like, this is a corny thing to say, but the fans can't get in the Hall of Fame, right? But the musicians aren't anything at all without them. They're nothing, literally nothing. And yet it would be corny to make a Hall of Fame, there'll be an exhibit celebrating the fan or something, you know, but they're literally the most important people in the building anytime anybody plays music. It's not the musicians, it's the chemistry, right? That idea, we take that and pour it over to the spinners. The spinners change everybody's lives. No, they don't. Are they the first thing you think of when you think of the most amazing single of all time? No. When you hear Then Came You, do you get a certain strain of sweetness that you don't get from anywhere else? Absolutely. And it's actually Tom Bell that we're talking about when we talk about this. We're talking about the Philadelphia sound, right? But when you hear Then Came You, the pocket that it occupies belongs to that single and belongs to the spinners, right? And beyond, right? So how to honor things that aren't monolithic in halls of fame is a big question, right? It's like everybody knows Led Zeppelin belongs, but does everybody know that Iron Maiden does too, even if you don't know their tunes? I don't know. Yeah, and that's where we are now with the hall. The easiest year for the hall was the first year. You, you, you know, you, you put in James Brown, you put in Elvis Presley, you put in Buddy Holly, like it's pretty easy. And then as each year goes on, it just gets wider and wider and you get more and more become eligible each year. And then it becomes almost impossible to try and do this any justice. Well, you know, you mentioned the spinners and Dion and then came you, one of the great singles of the 70s. Let's uh, let's transition into talking about Dion Warwick. I would love to know what Dionne Warwick means to you slash if you have a memory of like the first time you heard Dionne Warwick. I do actually. Uh, I was thinking about it right before I, I called very quickly to understand my relationship to pop music. 
my family moved around a lot as a child and I loved music from a very, very early age. I loved my record player. And I loved my record collection, which was mainly book and record stuff that Disney and stuff would put out. You know, it'd be like a person reading a book and you read along and it had a musical backing and soundtracks, the Music Man soundtrack, the Aristocats soundtrack, the Jungle Book, a lot of soundtracks. Music Man was huge for me. And that was, that was what I listened to. And I considered myself an expert, right? Because I was sort of a budding rock guy in that way. That I was like, I have my recollection. Nobody knows more about these records than me. I can Nobody knows more about these Aristocats than I do. No, seriously. It's like, it's like <laughs> I could tell you which song is best and which is worst and all this stuff. And I could probably piece together how the story goes, even though I've never seen the movie. So then we moved at one point and the new teacher in the third grade said, hey, tomorrow you guys can bring in some records to listen to and this is on a record player that like if you spin vinyl and you saw this thing you can, don't push your records on that <laughs> we'll just them. but but this was 1975 right and i'm just eight years old and i was like cool these kids who i and i was i'm pretty socially incompetent so i hadn't really made any friends yet and i was like cool man i'm gonna bring my records and then these people will know that i am cool Unfortunately, like the earliest version of a record guy <laughs> yeah but fortunately for me i'm a forgetful person because if I had brought my Jungle Book, Aristocats, Music Man in the next day, I would never have been forgiven. Because the other kids brought in Elton John and the Beatles and the Bay City Rollers. And I was like, what is this? That's what big kids listen to. But it was like the transition had already happened for them. And I would have been clowned so hard. I would have been clowned three towns over. But that's when I start listening to popular music, right? It's like third grade. I go, okay, well, I guess I don't get to listen to... It was sad for me because I loved my records. I was like, oh, you're not going to be able to share that with anybody. And so but I, started, I started listening to what everybody listened to. It's the Beatles, basically Rolls, Elton John. Those were the big three in those days. And I started watching TV to see what music was on there. And you couldn't see any footage of the Beatles. You could see Paul McCartney. He was still around. You see Ringo Starr and try and figure out what was going on with that. It was like, you were in the Beatles. Like, why is he singing these old songs from the fifties? You know? So it was like uh -huh. very hard to figure out when you're eight and nine years old. And sometime around, I think I'm 11, there's a show or 12, there's a show called Solid Gold. I'm very into rock and roll at this point. Heart is my favorite band in the world at this point. And they also belong uh, on the strength. Oh yeah, they're in. Oh, they're in already? Yeah, they're oh, in. Yeah. The thing is, that's great. This is one of my favorite bands, but they're in and War isn't? Get out of town, man. I love Heart <laughs> to Pieces, but War is lowrider. War defines Southern California culture to such a massive, I mean, musically, it like is basically the entire region I come from. So, okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, so there's a show called Solid Gold. Everybody watches every week and the next day, everybody's talking about it. school always. The Bee Gees are in their imperial phase. Anything they write is going into the charts, right? And it's like very few bands or songwriting teams actually enjoy a phase like this. And they're so untouchable for three years there. Anything they did, and they're giving them away. Like, oh, Islands in the Stream, here you go. Do Islands in the Stream, we don't want it, right? <laughs> like they're absolutely bulletproof, right? And they write a song called Heartbreaker. And I see her sing it. I wasn't even into this kind of music. I was watching Solid Gold largely to go, why isn't there any hard rock on here? You know, why, <laughs> why isn't Rainbow on here? Why isn't Deep Purple on here? You know, uh, why isn't Hard on here? But I was really taken by the way Dionne Warwick, she has this old stage manner of instead of going out and get it, and we live in a generation of going out and get it, right? When you see people performing their songs for YouTube, they put their faces right up in front of you, right? Boom, look at me, look at me, the way I'm looking at myself, right? And that's, and that's fine. It's just an ethos, but... But Dionne Warwick came from a generation where the person on stage assumed that they were worthy of your gaze. 
And with that worthiness came the responsibility of delivery, right? So she's standing there, pivoting just almost incomprehensibly to the left and the right. And her presence, it's very old Hollywood, right? It's very Judy Garland. I mean, Judy, Judy plays to the front lights, but it's, it's Bing Crosby. You know, Bing Crosby isn't trying to sell it to anybody. Bing, Bing Crosby mm -hmm. is singing in a way it's like, listen to my voice, listen to my voice, see what it does for you. And Dionne Warwick occupies this very specific pocket of adulthood. And that's what was so hard to understand as a child is like, she's not trying to stoke the as an erroneous thing that's said about rock and roll and pop music all the time is like, it's four kids and everything. And like, what's for everybody. And most of us are going to become adults at some point. And if the music we make doesn't come along with us, then we become pathetic nostalgists, right? Mm -hmm. We need music that speaks to our condition. And Dionne Warwick started her career when she was, hasn't even turned 30, Burt Backrack and Hal David are writing songs for her that are about being 31 and in a relationship. <laughs> They're specifically about, you know, when you already know you're going to sleep with somebody, that's not your issue, right? You're not, lust is an issue for all of us always, but it's not all about that. It's about fitting into a relationship. It's about feeling neglected or passed over. Very, very grown-up feelings. And Heartbreaker is, is, is one of those moments for me where I'm like, I'm a kid, but I can hear that this is news from the future. You know, this, this is really You're like, oh, this is where I'm headed. Oh, boy. This is, this is stuff you'll be thinking about later once you actually do get laid. Right? So, yeah. it's like, exactly. more. so it was Sol Solid Gold, which was a show that she hosted originally. Well, that's the thing. So this actually may have been on the American Music Awards. It may well, because I was watching anything I could that had musicians on it at that point. If there was, yeah. I watched the legendary science fiction awards that Shatner did Rocket Man on, you know that uh -huh. thing? I've seen the right. clip, yeah. I was watching I, I was watching it live. Uh, so, <laughs> Kristen, for your information, Shatner, and this is like Star Trek is not yet canonical. It's really just for nerds at this point, like for extreme nerds. And it was it was canceled. There was no Star Trek movie yet. Shatner's out there. He hasn't done TJ Hooker yet. He's he's out there figuring out what to do. And one of the things he did, and I, I I'll always wonder whether he pitched it, whether his people pitched it to the science fiction awards broadcast which is mainly about film but anyway he shows up at center stage smoking a cigarette and the music starts up and it's a very muzak kmart version of rocket man mm -hmm. and he's looking at the camera going i miss the earth i miss my so wife he's doing the the thing that he does now that he's now known for it he this leans into yeah me. yeah but at the time i'm nine or ten years old like, what is he doing <laughs> <laughs> i think it's gonna be a long long time the touchdown brings me back again to find I'm not the man they think I am back home. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. You know, what is so often frustrating about the Rock Hall, and there already in this episode, a, a number of names have come up that aren't in, and, and it's baffling, right? And part of the yeah. reason I think why that's so frustrating is there's really no rhyme or reason as to why someone gets in or why someone doesn't get in. And the Hall themselves, they really don't advertise any list of criteria. So you can't even really begin to make sense or evaluate any of these artists. And how can you when art and music is by nature subjective? Yeah. But because we have a By appointing me as, as, as the czar, right? And then I will say, <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, it looks like war in again. War makes it three times in a row. <laughs> because we're a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, what I have done, and I think you might hate this, but I think we will tell you that it is a- I, I know a, you'll hate at least one part. One category. <laughs> uh, but what I, this, I came up with a list of categories that I think if you do well in them, you have a good 
case for induction, or at the very least, we can reverse engineer what the hall might think and your chances right. for yeah. induction with this particular institution. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a break. And when we come back, we're going to see how Dion Warwick does in the categories. So we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, Kristen, what do we hope they did? Oh, well, you know, we hope you uh, thought about what life was like before the written word. Yeah. Give that some, some consideration. We hope that's something you did. Okay, so Dionne Warwick became eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988, which is the third year of the Rock Hall's existence. So she has been eligible for a very long time. Her first recording that was released was 1962, which was the single Don't Make Me Over. Don't make me over. was an incredible introduction to the world. So let's start with these categories. And I, we, we start off with the, maybe the thing you talk about first when you talk about an artist is the songs. Does this artist have iconic or recognizable songs? Now, I think it, it needs to be mentioned before we get into this. I think Dion had maybe 80 singles that made the uh, Hot 100, so we could I mean, get... When you start rattling them off, it's It's like with Carole King. You go, oh, my God, that's that's a monster hit. That's, you, oh, my God, that's an amazing <laughs> tune. <laughs> yeah, like if, if we are really trying to hone it down to what are the songs that even if you're not a Dionne Warwick fan, even if you're maybe not even actively listening to music, what are songs that everybody knows? And I do think Walk On By... <laughs> Say a little prayer. Uh, yeah, I say a little prayer uh, immortalized by Aretha and then in movies like My Best Friend's Wedding. Like that is yeah. a song that is everywhere. I'll never fall in love again. What do you get when you fall in love? A lot of the songs that we mentioned were the 60s period, which is her collaboration with these hot new songwriters, Burt Bacharach and Hal David. And Hal David, yeah. And yeah, she is, she more or less has first refusal, it seems, of any of their songs. She is the perfect conduit. Well, that was stuff. a team. She was the absolute perfect conduit for their mood, which was that adult mood I'm talking about. Sondheim is doing similar work. Right. Sondheim is, is also saying, let's write songs that have popular appeal, but are about complications of modern grown up life. And Backrack David are doing this also. And it's, it's a super it's such a vital position because there's so much great rock and roll that is specifically about, you know, young libido and the energy mm -hmm. of being young. And that's awesome, too. Right. That's awesome, too. Mm -hmm. But there's a sense in which music should honor everybody. Right? Music should have a should have the space for what's in what's intense about this. Right. I think most people think, well, when you get to be 60 or 70, then classical music is where you get to have the, you know, the, the, the gathering storm of age or whatever. And, uh -huh. and I think there's some truth in that. It's like you listen to big symphonies that like, oh, yeah, it builds over time to this amazing melodic moment 
moment it's like the story of a life or something but the background david are talking about after you get your job after you know they're, they're talking about people in the world at their errands you know and, and she Dion has voice for this because she has you know her voice is certainly soulful but it is also has a smoothness and she there's a restraint to it like she can she she's has not a such, belter she's not a belter although she can be she has like an incredible range but you know typically especially in this era of her work there's a, a velvet quality to it that is pleasing and i think one of the you know we talk about what is rock and roll and is dion warwick rock and roll and i to me it is the kind of blending of genres that positions her in a, a rock and roll way, you know, cause she comes from the church there. I think there is a gospel no. quality of her, her voice, but these songs are pop, but they're, yeah. Custodial. I mean, I don't think she is rock and roll. I would say no. It's like, if that's a criteria, if we're actually, but I mean, the rock and roll hall of fame is not the rock and roll hall of fame. It is the popular music hall of fame. That is not, that is post swing. Right. It's like, a, it's, it's an the, era, rock and maybe roll, the rock and roll era hall of fame. Absolutely. So she's making giant hits in the rock and roll era. If you are only listening to rock and roll generally, in 67 you're still hearing Dionne Warwick on the radio mm-hmm. every time you turn it on and she is part of your picture you know and that's why music like that is was in like all those nostalgia movies that came out of the 80s right like the big chill and stuff like that Dionne's single absolutely situates you as like as common vocabulary like almost more common than the Beatles in the Beatles positions you as counterculture after a certain point Dionne yes. Warwick positions you as what everybody knows what everybody hears that stuff that bedrock stuff is massively i mean it's massive it's 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 just huge and i think also when you're thinking about her in context of the hall you know someone like dusty springfield was inducted Mm. in 1999 and you know dusty has some incredible singles but you know, you could say that, and I think you can say a good number of those were almost like Dion B-sides, Dion cast yeah. you know, like rock, rock and roll people love Dusty Springfield. I mean, I nothing against Dusty Springfield at all, but, uh, but she is one of those names that like, especially people who love sixties rock, they're going to represent it for Dusty Springfield as soon as she shows up on the scene. Dion, it's interesting because rock and roll often is thought of as counterculture. Dion Warwick is not counterculture. Dion Warwick is part of the culture. She speaks to human beings with normal problems. Something uh, that's coming up we, for me about that. I often say on the show, because I argue a lot for the inclusion of more rap and hip hop. And I say like rock and roll is counterculture often on the show. And I talk about how hip hop is now counterculture. Like rap is the music you listen to to piss your parents off. And it's really interesting because we've brought up like, I'm very also pro induct the divas. Let's get more women in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And like, if you're looking at someone like Aretha as the forebearer or the, you know, first woman inducted, where does the stream go from there? I think one of the things that holds back a Dion is that she isn't counterculture. She is, and she, the smoothness, the sophistication of her voice, Burt Bacharach is not counterculture. Like we are not going to ever put Barry Manilow in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're never going to put Celine Dion in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Are the Carpenters in? They are not. Huh. And I I think it's it's a similar thing as to what Kristen is talking about is the defining the line between rock and roll and easy listening, right? Yeah, but but look at that. Now the Carpenters are a band beloved, huge. They're also Mm -hmm. The Backrack David start writing for the Carpenters, right? They have a woman playing drums and mm-hmm. singing at the same time. Not just playing drums, but keeping immaculate time. She's she's a world class musician with perfect pitch, and they're not in. And those and those records 
if you go into an audiophile geek store, often they will play you Steely Dan's Asia as sort of like the record you want to hear, or or is it that or rumors, right? To mm-hmm. hear your massive sound staging. But you could do that with Carpenter's records because those records are like those are cathedrals of sound, you know. And the harmonies, oh man, I get mad thinking about the Carpenters because everybody gives it up for the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys are so great, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. The harmonies on Carpenter's record, Richard Carpenter's feel for vocal harmony is one of the miracles of modern music and of rock and roll. If we're looking at all these inductees and candidates, and some of them do not play rock and roll by any definition, but they play a massive role in popular culture. So we say yes. Then the Carpenters belong. <laughs> it's like absolutely. absolutely. Cool. Oh, yeah. We had a Carpenters episode a, a year or two ago with a, a great author named Karen Tongson. I recommend anyone listening to this to go check that out because that's a, a great episode with someone who really yeah. wrote and studied about Karen Carpenter specifically. You know, some, I heard a quote from Smokey Robinson that I, I thought was interesting. I listened to him on my run today, some of his later stuff. His 70s stuff is hugely underrated. Uh, An incredible artist inducted in the second year of the Rock Hall. But he was talking about how important it was. You know, we're we're talking about Dion was not counterculture. She was pretty mainstream. But how important that was for a black woman and even just a black person to reach those heights at that time in the 60s and how that really broke down doors for everybody at that time. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about some of this music that seems milk toasty to people, you know, that, 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 not to me, but, you know, that, that sort of seems mellow and, and overgrown up is like, that was important to be making the kind of music that your dad would have to admit, your white dad in Cleveland, say, would have to admit, oh, that's a good tune. That makes real progress. And it's a weird kind of progress to talk about because, of course, if you have a racist dad, it shouldn't take a piece of music for him to abandon his racist belief. <laughs> <laughs> But that's, in fact, how sometimes things work. The, every every little bit of, of representation makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that is an important part of the story of rock and roll. And I think Dion is an important part of the story. Of, of Although the irony there being that it's literally music invented by Black people. And if you enjoy it at all, <laughs> then you enjoy yeah. Black music. Right? So. Absolutely. And I also think uh, another defense, a rock and roll defense for Dion, is where she goes uh, post Bacharach David. So the story, and you, you can maybe help me with this, John, but she had signed a record deal with Warner Brothers right when Burt Bacharach and Hell David broke up. And so suddenly she has this new record deal and her collaborators are not working together anymore. She doesn't right. have anyone writing music for her to sing. And so she is adrift. It gets ugly. They, everybody's suing each other. It's a, not a great way to start a new phase of your career. Well, do you know the circumstances of the Bacharach David dissolution? I believe it, there was a movie, yes. Lost Horizons. Is that what it's yes, called? That's right. Yeah. They were to do the, the score and the soundtrack and it came <laughs> out and it was a huge bomb. It was a flop. It, it was a remake of a 40s movie. And it's a fascinating thing because these guys were absolutely bulletproof. They were in their imperial phase. Now, they were BGsing like, it up. In... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they, were, they were giving them away. Bacharach, David, if, if we wrote it, you're going to like it. And we're going to make a bunch of money off it. And it's all good. But it's now the 70s. They're actually out of their milieu, right? But they, they've got the Carpenters coming up and they're feeling pretty good about themselves. And the movie sounds like a good deal because Hollywood... The music business can never hope to really have that Hollywood money. And this is true today. A musician who's doing very, very well. When the TV or movie people show up, we sit up and beg like dogs. 
oh, <laughs> oh my God, give me a piece of what you got because those people can make or break you. They can really do a lot of good for you. And that was true then too. Once people see you on a thing that they saw with their eyes, it makes a giant difference. And this is how it is, you know? So, so they make this movie and it is a catastrophe. <laughs> it's just an utter catastrophe. And they're mad at each other. Everybody involved in the movie is mad. It was suppressed for years. You can finally see it on YouTube. Like nobody will agree to, to release it on, on VHS or anything. But yeah, so Dion is a casualty of this. She wasn't involved. The fifth dimension were involved, which incidentally, I have the most complete fifth dimension vinyl collection of anybody in indie rock. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have multiple copies of the albums that their Lost Horizon songs are on, Living Together. Living Together. They are good songs, but lyrically they are sort of lacking because they're trying to write something for a movie. And it turns out that's not their skill set. Their skill set um, is telling a whole movie in one, in three minutes, you know? Exactly, and exactly, so exactly. then you're trying to do a whole, you know, hour and a half, two hour story and trying to tell like what pieces of the story within it were, it was a musical movie or they were doing the score. It was a musical and there are songs. You can hear them on this Fifth Dimension record. So this is very insightful what you just said because a songwriter, a person who writes a song and whose eye is on the single song that people are going to hear is trying to paint a whole world that's only going to happen once. All of it's in there. The whole story is in there. When people ask what happened to that character later, nothing. Every, everything you need to know about that character is in the song. Do you know the way to San Jose person does not exist outside of that song. Writing musicals is a totally different skill set. Lin-Manuel Miranda, genius. He knows that when he tells a story in a song, he's both having to have the story be contained and have there be enough loose ends for that character to speak again later. And in Hamilton, he's going to pick up the thread using some of the same lines. But Bacharach David, I'm so fascinated with Imperial phases because I really think they're like, look, if we're doing it, it's good. <laughs> it's like, a, <laughs> uh -huh, you know? And I think Dion believes that too, because they had, as, as a trio, they have risen to unimaginable heights. And I think also to point out, I think Dion had to even believe that Bacharach David, I think she passed on what the world needs now because she was like, I don't know, this is a little preachy. And then that became a big thing. <laughs> so then when something like, uh, do you know the way to San Jose comes around, she's like, I don't know. But I trust you guys, and then it becomes yeah. a hit. Do you know the way to San Jose? I've been away so long, I may go wrong and lose. So this one movie, it just blew it all up. It, it dissolved that. partnership is what is how the story is how the myth runs. I'm sure there's more to it than that. Right. And then Dion, the next few years are not as successful. She has a bright spot with the collaboration with the spinners. Then came you. Yeah. But the thing is that the, a lot of the sides from that never even saw light. So Tom Bell is the producer from Philadelphia who does Then Came You. And if you love Then Came You, Tom Bell is a big part of what you're loving. The Philadelphia sound of Tom Bell, everything he touched was beautiful. Not everything was a massive hit, but he's the dramatics and the spinners. He did a Johnny Mathis album that hasn't all seen light, but it's amazing. Johnny Mathis' voice, one of the great... Is he in the hall? No, he's not. Once again, I must protest. <laughs> yeah. But Dion at this point, as I understand it, and again, I sound authoritative, but I'm really just reporting what I heard, you know. Yeah. I, I have male speaker problem. I, I talk like I actually know, right? And so, but what I have heard and read in a few places is that Dion has some management who's got ideas going. And this is once you have any 
road underneath you, your manager is important to you. Your manager is the one telling you, look, this is, you should do this. And you can't do all that on your own plate and be a performer and tour. You have to have somebody filtering for you. You have to have somebody suggesting to you. And then you have your own ideas. And But this is also the point at which she changes her name from Warwick with a CK to Warwick with an E for one album. Right. Adding what? an E to the end because her astrologer friend. Her astrologer told her to. A good idea. <laughs> this is That's a precursor right. to the Psychic Friends Network. I think always into it. Right? So I don't want to cast aspersions, but that tells you where her head is at is she's making somewhat capricious decisions. And she did not think that she would benefit from her partnership with the spinners. The phrase that you always see in stories about this is she didn't want to be seen as a groupie. Well, that's a misunderstanding of what the word groupie is, right? But what she means is she didn't want to be seen as sort of a, a sidekick to mm -hmm. an up and coming big act. Whereas what I think Tom Bell was thinking is like, oh, if you put this voice in this music and, and the spinners can harmonize, the spinners harmonies are, are absolutely just God level, beautiful, you know? And I think he was thinking, God, if I had Dionne Warwick riding atop that and the duet in Then Came You is some of those beautiful back and forth in the history of popular music. Ever since I met you. Seems I can't forget you. My heart breaks when I hear it, you know? And I think that's what Tom Bell was. I think Tom Bell is a pure musician. He's not thinking about the stature of the starhood of his performer at all. I think he's literally only thinking about great records. Mm -hmm. And he knew if I get these two together in studio, I get a great record. And it is from this lost period of her stuff where she does Track of the Cat. She does these records that have a few good songs on them. But I mean, this is a person who was singing Backrack David material before. It's like, it's a, it's a long way to go from there. Track you know? of the Cat? Track of the Cat uh, is, is a, I think, a Dionne Warwick 78 record. 75, Track of the Cat. It's six minutes and 55 seconds. It is the title the track on Track of the Cat. You till the spell surrounds you. Track of the Cat. I think she's adrift. I think she doesn't really know what to do. I don't know who her manager is at this point, but I suspect it's not somebody with a big vision. Yeah, and her career is revived, though, when she signs with Arista Records and right. hooks up with Clive Davis, who does have a vision for her. And who knows, if you give Dionne Warwick the right material, everybody loves Dionne Warwick. I mean, she's just, she's the right performer for so much stuff in a certain vein. She cannot be beat on those tunes. She can't be beat. The Arista box set is the one I wrote about for Marooned for this, what would you take to this island thing? It's like, and those Arista things, they're not the Backrack David songs, but they are monster hits of their day. They absolutely typify their era of 79, 80, 81, 82. They speak to a time. And then she's able to, to voice that in a remarkable way. Yeah, and the first album of that contract, Dion, you've got two songs that both win Grammys that year, one for female pop vocal, one for female R&B vocal, and it's the ballad, I'll Never Love This Way Again, which was a monster right. hit. No, I'll never love this way again. Hold on, hold on. And then the yeah. Isaac Hayes written, kind of funky, kind of groovy song that I like a lot called Deja Vu. Deja Vu is a great tune. Deja Vu is a very, it's a tune that has sort of, uh, it's acquired a beautiful patina over time. You know, it really, you hear it now and it's got a sort of a, a dubby almost feel to it. You know, it's very ethereal, a really wonderful song. It's really great. And then she's, she's releasing a lot of hits. 
and it's yeah. and it's not just actually the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees are heartbreaker, mm-hmm. but then she does a record that Luther Vandross produces in '83. How many times can we say goodbye? And how many times can we see love die? Is Luther in the Hall of Fame? He is not. He is Get not. this Hall of Fame out of my <laughs> Luther Vandross. I know. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a crime. It's like a... they have really overlooked just a lot of music and a lot of veins of music, a lot of styles, genres. They're just getting around to Dionne Warwick now. So as you can imagine, like all, all halls of fame are like this in sports. That's where the, the sabermetrics guys are right. It's like, make it about numbers. If you have these numbers, you get in and then we don't have to be doing. Uh, but poly- then we have a and- bunch of popular garbage getting it. Art is unfortunately, you can't metric it. And if you do, then you wind up with garbage. Then you wind up with literally what is the most people <laughs> can stomach mm, so I that agree is with not... you wholeheartedly wholeheartedly i agree with you as a guy who will not be remembered by history but history is going to metrify you should talk to time. every one of my ex-boyfriends <laughs> <laughs> they'll remember you forever yeah but i want to tell you something man. i know this is going to make you day all your ex-boyfriends are going to die and they're going to take their thoughts with them to the grave <laughs> so... they'll have many future girlfriends to impart them on though <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we are still in this first category. If you, oh if my you God. remember, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a big talker. No, no, no. I, I, I love it's so it. So great. And but you know, when we talk about the iconic songs, I do want to make sure we talk about. She somehow manages this deep into her career in the '80s to have the biggest song and the biggest song of of the year, which was it's accredited to Dion and Friends, but it's uh, her and Elton John and Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder, and it's that's what friends. Are for I have a special relationship to it for a number of reasons. The people who, when I was addicted to amphetamines and couldn't function for myself when I was 19 years old and was all never more than a few steps away from the grave. I was, I was a mess. I I wasn't, you know, and and people think of me and then they pity me. I also wasn't a very good person at this time, you know, but I had people who believed in me and they were mainly drag queens. Uh, And this was in Portland, Oregon in 85 and 86. And most of them would probably identify as trans. Now they all used female pronouns, feminine pronouns. And, um, uh, and they all died. They're all gone now. And um, give me a second. Um, and when they died, the president of the United States would not say the name of the disease that was killing them. Um, it was mm-hmm. a terrible time in history. By that time, I had gotten on my feet a little bit, and I was working at a six-bed house for people who were dying of AIDS. And it was not called a hospice, but that's what it was. These people weren't leaving the house. And uh, that song came out during that time. I was there with people who weren't going to make it out of my house, remembering my friends who were either already dead or on their way. And this song came out and it was, the video is not, this is the age of expensive videos, but they couldn't scare up a big budget for Dion and friends, right? This thing was shot on a stage with like three camera angles. It's Mm -hmm. a cheap ass video. Elton John is still big, but he's not that big. They couldn't get giant A-listers to commit to show up for people with AIDS, right? She got who she got and she got it together, but it meant the world uh, to a lot of people, you know, sorry. What a gorgeous thing to share with us because I think that when we look back at this time, I think that we don't necessarily 
I was really, really young when that song came out. And I think that there is a tendency now to almost view it as a punchline, as a cheesy sure. thing that it happened. Is a, and, it's a cheesy song. It's like, it's right, totally- right. But, but to know how meaningful it was to the people it was fucking intended to be meaningful for. It's important not to forget. And I was scrolling through reading about Dion and reading about that song and realizing it was an AIDS benefit song. We have quickly forgotten just how revolutionary and important it was for people. Well, yeah, because this was a shameful period in American history. This was a terrible time. Reagan's legacy is is brutal in in, Mm -hmm. in this aspect. It was people were dying in, in massive numbers. He would not say the name of the disease, and then he would give interviews where he would blame people for having it. It was really terrible. For Stevie Wonder to be the the one other massive name on this track was a big-ass deal, you know. But you have mm-hmm. Gladys Knight. She hasn't had a hit in a while. But mm-hmm. she's a great singer. She's a great performer. And she shows up. You're risking a little bit of your reputation at this point. It's a different time, right? Where we're at today, we can give a lot of thanks to the people who worked on the quilt. We can give a lot of thanks to ACT UP for increasing visibility, you know, and for for, for insisting on being included in the conversation. And we can thank Gladys Knight and, and Elton John for saying, I'm going to I'm gonna get on this record. I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be in public. Yeah, a risky thing to do. And one of those rare moments when the the right thing to do and the brave thing to do becomes the, that became the number one song of that year. Let's move on to the next category. Why don't we? I know we've been talking a lot about songs. I think Dion is at her essence, a, a singles artist. The next category is classic albums. I, I don't think Dion was really coming, especially in the beginning, coming out of the not really the albums era. Now, you you mentioned the Marooned book, which you wrote a, a great entry for about what, you know, the, the kind of classic question, what is the album you take with you on a desert island? I liked your approach to it, which was taking the threat of being stranded on a desert island very, very seriously. You're going to die there. Yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> T- taking that that angle. What do you want to be funny. listening to as you're dying? <laughs> or what do you want to listen to before you die? Because it's going to run out of battery. You don't have any power. So what's the last music you want to hear before you slowly starve to death? Over yeah, you, you have no survival technique or skills. Uh, <laughs> the electricity issue is a very real one. Again, like like I was saying, she's a singles artist. You picked a singles compilation of her Arista years called Legends. I think if you were actually going to a desert island and you had to take a record, I would want something profoundly sentimental because we all know if you go a day or two without food, your emotions start to bubble up to the, you become very, very sleepless. And that's you <laughs> on the desert island. You need the music that speaks to that mindset of being starving and sleepless. And this music is that level of sentimentality. It's music that's not just swinging for these fences, but it's music for the international market. She's making at this point music for people who may or may not know the words she's singing. Dionne Warwick is huge all over Asia at this point, right? She's selling records to people who are not connecting primarily to the lyrics, but who are connecting to the mood, to the chords, to the orchestration, to the production, and to the way that she sings, which the way that she sings also in the Japanese market, they're not looking for belters at this point. They're looking for people who sit in a certain pocket of feeling, right? Japanese music, pop music is profoundly sentimental, but it's not performatively sentimental in that sense. It, It occupies a range. It's not like Tina Turner, right? Tina Turner's swinging for the fences, right? Tina Turner goes mm-hmm. in. We as Americans, that's what we like. We want yeah. it to redline, right? We want to know that you felt it. We want to see you bleed for it. There's a segment of the Japanese market that is in, in Japanese punk, 
Like that's exactly what they want. <laughs> it's like, but on the Japanese pop charts, my feeling is that what they want is something more like Dion Warwick. There's a, a sentimental feeling that we all can understand and that has a depth of resonance that's deeper than its surface, right? That gives us more to pick over as we visit it. And that's the music she's making in the 80s. And that's oh, the music well you are dying, dying on a shore. Starving. To- <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm, that's what I'm listening to as I perish. I'm going to die. I'm seeing Dionne Warwick, who, by the way, I don't know if you follow her Twitter, but she's a goddess on Twitter. She's like, she's absolutely crushing Twitter right now. I mean, I think it's a very real connection that her Twitter has elevated her profile. More people are suddenly talking about her and thinking about her. And I do think that's why she's on the ballot for the first time this year. Let's connect this category that we're in classic albums to the next one, critical acclaim. And I'll pose a question to both of you. Do you think Dionne Warwick has any entries on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list? I do not. No, I would say no. You guys are correct. Yeah. Obviously. She's not an she's, album's artist is the thing. She's not an talking? album's artist, yeah. So that's, well, that's and also, she's, she's not a Rolling Stone artist either, which yeah. I think is also something that hurts her with her eligibility is like you know, if we look at Rolling Stone as like, that's where the nominating committee meets, that is, you know, the founder of the hall, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's like very entwined with, with Rolling Stone and like, Dionne Warwick has never been part of, maybe they're talking about her Twitter now. Yeah, I mean, when we but, talk about, where I the think- album, is where The album question comes in is like, the question of has she made any classic albums, that is a, a question that tells me a lot about the ideology of the person asking me the question about, and about their musical, and this is, I, I say prejudice is not in a bad way. To be an albums guy is great. The Mountain Goats make albums. I believe in the album. I love albums. But it is not in and of itself, if you never made a classic album, does that mean you're not a, Chuck Berry never made a classic album. The, oh, the classic yeah. album he made is the Great Twenty Eight. But if you, right. but if you, if he doesn't belong, nobody belongs, right? And there's, there's just a million. I don't know if James Brown ever made a classic album, you know, but but obviously he's a first ballot guy. And so the the album thing, the album era, really, we could probably give it a historical beginning and ending as a criterion. It's a weird criterion because to matter massively in the rock conversation, you don't ever have to make a great record at all. That's true. I do think, though, with this set, with the people who vote and the people who yeah, make these decisions, I like I said, this is a re- reverse engineering of to kind of see where they're at. Yeah. And, you know, even an artist, like you said, an artist like James Brown, they are going to consider Live at the Apollo like a classic. Uh, album. That's a great album, though. That's you it. know, they, so mm-hmm. I, I do think that is a pretty big category. But like you said, you don't necessarily have to have it. It is just building a case. But what, the next category was critical acclaim. And like Kristen, you were saying, and I think maybe the reason why now it's Dion is appearing on the ballot is, you know, she is a legend in a way that if you write about music and you want people to take you seriously to deny her that legend status, I think people would laugh at you. Now, maybe at the time she was never a critical darling. I don't think anyone in their right mind was ever like, this is completely worthless. But I think now that we have the years of a body of work, the critical evaluation is one that is positive, but not glowing. I look at Chris Gow to see what Chris Gow has done with Dionne Warwick, right? Because he's sort of an establishment voice. I don't know if he'd like yeah. to think of himself in that way, but but his Consumer Guide reviews, she gets a C plus for her 72 album Dion, uh, which Hal David is still on board at that point. She's doing some Jacques Brel tunes. She gets a B minus, a C plus, but then... When Rhino puts out her all-time greatest hits, he gives her an A. Right. And the very past a year later, he also gets an A. So, so it's like yeah, an acknowledgement he, of the legacy. He uses a word that I avoid because I consider it ableist language, but, 
but he, he says her breakup with her two mentors crippled all three for life. So mm-hmm. I don't like the word crippled, but it's true that when those three part ways, none of them ever, ever really fully recover from that dissolution. There's, there's a book about uh, Morrissey and Johnny Marr written from the point of view of like a, a person for whom the Smiths are the absolute end of music. And it's called Morrissey and Marr, The Severed Alliance. <laughs> you all can't see Kristen's cringe. But that was <laughs> That's a Steven Seagal movie, isn't it? It is The Severed Alliance. <laughs> uh, uh, but the next category, though, is one I think Dion does obviously very well in, which is commercial success. After Aretha, she's the most charted woman she sold 75 million singles, 52 million uh-huh. albums worldwide. Like the number, she, she's got numbers that are insane. Like she's sold a lot of records. And then if you go to the next category, longevity, she's done it over a very impressive period of time. I think this longevity is one of her best categories because, you know, you're talking about starting in 62 and then having a number one in 86, like a yeah. very, very few artists are able to have that type of longevity. Yeah, I know that's that crosses generations and it really speaks to it's funny that there's one of those rock values, you know, of like one hit wonders are such a big part of the conversation. They don't have longevity, but does that really matter if you know if the song meant so much to so many people? But but in the case of the young world, to be able to make an art that matters to people across multiple generations, that feels substantial. Absolutely. Are you ready for what's gonna be your least favorite category? <laughs> Can you tell what it's gonna yeah. be called? You have said several times that you hate this word oh, in the first half. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, when we, like, like we've been talking about, this is about trying to get in the heads of the people who make these decisions. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. this is obviously something that uh, is considered to be important. And I think the induction of Whitney Houston last year kind of- That's, contrib- I was just going to say that. I just feel like, I think that the Whitney- Induction is just something that makes Dion feel more inevitable than she ever has before, because there is no Whitney without Dion Warwick. There just isn't it. She is the blueprint. There is no it does not happen. And I think, too, about what we've we've talked about this before when we talked about her on the show when we had all those old timers on, um, Mm -hmm. we've we had a round table with a bunch of guys who the founder of the one of the founders of the hall and a bunch of old nominating committee members we were pushing for some more inclusion of women and i was t- like you know what about pat benatar tina turner solo blah 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 and then you know you hear from all these guys and they're like well what about dion warwick she hadn't even come up to me as like a person to to consider but now i think that the whitney induction has really and then plus the twitter I really cannot, you can't Mm -hmm. overstate how her being part of young people's consciousness, if she were to be on a, and maybe I'm getting too close to my verdict now, but it's like, if if she were to be on the HBO special or whatever, you would have younger people who know her from Twitter. They'd be like, oh yeah, that's the cool lady from Twitter who all of my favorite artists are interacting with her and she's being hilarious and self-aware. Yeah, I wonder if she'd be on tour now, if we were touring, you know, it's like she's having sort of a moment with Twitter. Does she still go out or is she, you know, is she, is she retired? I believe she's not retired. And the hint I have to that is that she's always said if she retired, she would move to Brazil. Just by the fact that she is not in Brazil (laughs) leads me to believe she's not technically retired. But yeah, like you said, the the Whitney thing, I think is... With getting Whitney in, it's we've talked about where do you go from there? Do you keep going down that line or do you 
as the hall should, go back and acknowledge the very significant artists who made the world safe for Winnie Houston. You literally put in Dionne Warwick, Tina Turner, fucking Shaka Khan. Like yeah. you do that. That's what you do. Yeah. I mean, so her influence on other artists is more way making like what you're describing, right? Than in terms of, you know, I don't think there's a lot of people copying Dionne's moves. I don't think there's a lot of people going, I want to make a Dionne Warwick record. But I think in terms of thinking how to, how to be a single name black woman making pop music, Dionne Warwick is making a way. She's opening a door. And I believe that strongly. And she's like, she's headlining Vegas before any of these people are. That's making a way. Because when you headline Vegas, that's literally showing people how to get a job that they can work that's good money. You know, because that Vegas gig, there's a reason why people go there and never come back. Uh, I saw Boys to Men about 10 years ago commenting about how we normally don't leave Las Vegas. That's where we live now, but it's fun to be out on the road again and playing, you know. Uh, but they don't leave because they can play every night in the exact same hall and the mu- and the sound is the same, but it's mm-hmm. a new audience every night. Yeah, you know? the people come to and them. And it takes you off yeah. the road. You know, I mean, it's a totally different thing because you're not writing a set list ever. You're just, you have your gig now. But she was headlining Vegas early on and making a way for people. That's influence too. Well, let's go to the next category, which is artistry slash skill. I think there are, and connecting it kind of back to the critical thing, I think there are critics who, and people within the hall who think that in terms of an artist, you need to be daring and making experimental choices and, and risk-taking, you know, not unlike, say, what made Nine Inch Nails so appealing yeah. to the, the You picked a good name to stand in for that because these are bullshit macho qualifications. Risk-taking is absolutely a product of privilege. It's yeah, like absolutely, you yeah. You don't, Dionne Warwick does not have the privilege in music to go taking big risks, you know, so you find a way to do something new and innovative that, that isn't you try, making an acid rock album and then getting lambasted by Chris Gow or Lester Bangs or whoever, you know? Yeah. For women, generally speaking, and for black women specifically in popular music, uh, the stay in your lane edict is extraordinarily strong in this music. You do not have, you are not afforded the privilege to be doing the the downward spiral as your second record. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. You don't have that point. option. Yeah. You can do it, but you're not going to get support from the industry for it in the first place. If Dionne Warwick had made the most innovative rock record of all time for her second full-length album, the label wouldn't have released it. The label that did release it wouldn't have had the wherewithal to market it, and mm-hmm. it would presently be commanding $40,000 on Discogs, right? And that's what it would be about. You know? Yeah, that's a very good point. And in, in terms of this category, I think it's also worth mentioning that while sometimes I think people think of Dion's vocal qualities as maybe restrained or subtle, she she is one of the one of the great singers. She does have a, a powerhouse voice. But she's a stylist. That's the old the old, you know, Mel Torme doesn't belt either. But when you hear a Mel Torme song, you know what's up. Right. <laughs> like, sure. And, and that's the thing is like singing is not just range. Singing is phrasing. Singing is pocket. Right. The pocket is this mysterious place in music. Right. But, but singing is, you know, when when she tosses off a phrase and it lands on you a way that when you sing it yourself and you hear yourself sing, how come I don't sound as cool as Dion does? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're down to our final category, maybe the most important category, which is does my mom know who they are? And didn't even have to ask my mom. I know. Yeah, this is a slam dunk. Absolutely. There's no one's mother who doesn't know who Dionne Warwick is. No, my mother died last year, but uh, I'm sure she did. One of the most famous people, especially at a certain era. And what's fun is that even now, like you were saying with Twitter, this category gets even wider. Everybody knows who Dionne is, especially 
especially now. She's crushing Twitter so hard. It's so, it's, yeah. it's a joy. And, I, and I'm glad that she is getting some acknowledgement. There's more than just the, the Rock Hall, I think, within the past year or so, like a Grammy Lifetime Achievement and, and other things. And it's, it's really great to see. To be able to see people get their flowers while they're still here is really yeah. nice. And I complained about the hall every week. Um, I, I don't <laughs> like it very much, but it does raise the profile of artists and it would be a nice addition to her Wikipedia well, page. Well, Kristen, why don't we just get to the verdict then? Should Dionne Warwick be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will she get in and when, and will it be this year? So, you know me, I'm induct the divas. I believe that they should be in. I still have the Conditioning, the like rockest conditioning, I think about the smoothness of a lot of her music that it's why for me, I'm not immediately, we got to get Dionne Warwick in. I do think she should be in, especially with Whitney having been inducted. It just really feels important. It feels right. And learning more about her and kind of the trajectory and importance of her career and life. Yeah, I think she should be in. Will she get in? So Joe and I talked about our personal ballots the other day. And in that fifth slot on our personal ballots, Joe went with Dion and I went with Shaka. And I think harkening back to that conversation we had at the old timers round table, which I'm not gonna, now just mm-hmm. calling it the old timers round table. I think that there are going to be some of the older generation who loves and remembers her fondly. I think she could get in this year. It's really possible. But then I wonder if she doesn't get in, when do we see her back on the ballot? Do they pop mm-hmm. her back on next mm-hmm. year and then vote, vote on her again? Or is it, I really do have so many opinions about this. So I have really come so far, but like, you know, do they pop her back on next year? And then she gets in if she barely ekes it, like if she's get a high vote getter, but doesn't, you know, make top, hopefully they put in eight, 10 people this year. They won't, they'll put in seven. (laughs) I want them to put in 10. I want them to put the whole ballot in. I don't give a shit. It's an ephemeral thing. Mm -hmm, Just put mm -hmm. everybody in. It really doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, Anyway. It's also an HBO uh, special, which is keeping (laughs) your your fantasy from being a reality. So I, I think that she should get in. I do think she will get in. I'm like, when is the question, if it doesn't happen this year, if she stays in the zeitgeist, if she stays on Twitter and just, you know, I don't know, has some sort of TikTok breakthrough, then we could see hear from her again next year and she gets in. I think if she's going to get in, it has to be in the next five years. Yeah. Uh, and I want it to happen while she's here and alive. Those are John, good thoughts. I love yeah, that. John, what do, you, what do you think? Should she, will she, and when? Well, should she? I mean, I think we know where I stand on this. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was just thinking about how, like, these are songs that people, that soldiers are hearing in Vietnam. And if American soldiers are hearing now, I don't think those soldiers belong there. But that's a big part of musical conversation, really, is like, the, it speaks to the sentimentality of, like, what did you hear abroad? Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, memorably in The Deer Hunter, I think, all the soldiers start singing that. They're probably not in yet, right? Four Seasons got in in oh, they 1990. Did. So they, they got in pretty quickly. Okay, well, that's good, but but I'm still not giving them any credit because Luther's not in. So <laughs> if they're in and Dion's not in yet, then it's absurd because it's the same, it's the exact same pocket. And the songwriting is of a considerably higher caliber. Uh, the songwriting for the Four Seasons is by a guy named Bob Crew, and much respect to Bob Crew. I love the Four Seasons to pieces, but the songs that Dion is singing are 
note for note, superior tunes. So, I mean, she belongs in the sense of her massive reach and the breadth of her work. Will she? Looking at that list, it's not up anymore, but I don't think she makes it. On I think they're going to nominate seven, as you said, and those seven will be the Foo Fighters, the Foo Fighters, the Foo Fighters, the Foo Fighters. <laughs> the Foo Fighters. Oh, because as we God. know, the Foo Fighters are the only band who have ever played rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, uh, God, something God that you may him. also not know is that Dave Grohl is on the nominating committee. I think the Foo Fighters are generally under underrated by people like us. Foo, the Foo Fighters are actually very, very good. And they're able to, to do many different types of rock and roll. They're a super interesting band, actually. Yeah. But culturally, they're bad news because they literally <laughs> are. They literally are the bands like, oh, we need a rock band. If we want a rock guitarist, we get Slash. And if we want a rock band, we get the Foo Fighters. And that's terrible. You don't want one band that is like sort of the icon that means rock band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I think... Okay, so here's who's going to get in. It's going to be the following seven. How many times has LL Cool J been on the ballot? This is number six. Too many. LL's going in. Mm-mm. Carol no King's going in. <laughs> yes. There's not enough pop geeks to put Todd Rundgren in. Are they going to put the Foos in where they're still working? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I mean, they put in Radiohead. My, yeah. Yeah, but Radiohead is... Uh, seismically greater importance than the Foo Fighters. I, think. Um, <laughs> I was just answering uh, the, the working question, but yeah, I agree. I think those are, I think the gimmies, I think LL and Carol King are going this year. Knowing that LL has fallen short many years and also he's up against Jay-Z, which is in a similar lane. I think he's going to fall short again. I so think, they won't put two rappers in at the same year, will they? I mean, unlikely. there's no, obviously, yeah, I would say it's unlikely, you know, usually one, if that, I mean, Jay-Z seems like such an obvious, his imperial period was like, he was absolutely omnipresent and he, and he started labels and clothing brands. I mean, he made huge differences in the business and in people's lives. He was giving people jobs, you know, and if he appeared on your, on your record, if he dropped a verse, it was, then it went to number one, you know, it it was big for a long time, Mm -hmm. still big, but, but I mean, that, that moment that Jay-Z had was, was massive. I think he probably goes in. You don't think LL is going in, huh? I don't. I mean, like, Elo should have been in 11 years ago whenever he was uh, first on the ballot. But I just know that it's been a hard road for him. And this is a particularly competitive ballot. What's funny about that is that I think the further away we get from the impact of what he did, the more it's actually going to reduce his chances of getting in. Because the energy of 18-year-old LL Cool J performing in a Kangle hat, gold chain, and no Mm -hmm. shirt. People yeah. don't know how massive that guy, like rap heads would be talking about what was deeper and stuff. But when that guy showed up, the room exploded. And when he did going back to Cali and his Rick Rubin stuff later, that was a rebirth. He had already been around for a while. He's a guy who got counted out multiple times and came back uh, multiple don't times. It a don't comeback. call it a comeback. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and just as a performer, I mean, that guy... That guy could seriously rock a stage. I do not see how he's not in. Like, this is a personal problem for me is like, I'm incapable of distinguishing should and will. Right, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Like, well, uh, um, if, if I may, I'll, I'll give my verdict here. Do it. Uh, I believe uh, strongly that Dion Warwick should be in. I think she's an important part of the history of rock and popular music. And if you remove her, the stream changes considerably. Absolutely. Uh, I think she will. I think generally... And this is from me, like, you know, our, our listeners and the, the people we follow online and the people who, who talk to us from the many channels from doing this podcast. I think she's, Dion is being underestimated. And I do think she will get in this year. And I mm-hmm. think it's because she has legendary status. Now she's going up against, 
you, a lot of people. There's some with, legends in this. But specifically, I, I think Tina Turner and Carol King also occupy that legendary status. And so that makes it more competitive. But I think Dion is going to eke it out. And I think she is getting in this year. And if, if you want to hear my predictions for what I think the class will be, I think it will be Tina yeah. Turner, Carol King. I think it will be the Go-Go's. I think it'll be Jay-Z, Foo Fighters, and Dionne Warwick. And I think it'll be six. They usually don't, you don't go. Do you think COVID informs the voting at all, either of you, this, this year? You know, I can't think of a way in which it would. I mean, just in that, like, it, you know, people aren't out there touring or, you know, mm. able to make a name for themselves in that way. I would say, though, too, I think many more people are aware of Dionne Warwick's online presence because they're yeah. home and they're online. more online than they would yeah, have been totally. had we been allowed out. Why don't we just say Dionne Warwick's getting into the hall? Fuck yeah. Who inducts them? Who gives the speech? to induct Dion. Me. <laughs> I, I get to yeah, do I like it. I, I like I, it. I, I need I a love win. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, I don't. I mean, I, I think Bacharach does, right? I mean, that's, that's, I mean, yeah, he's not I, a rock dude, but that's the, he's also, Elton John. You know, I was going to say the friends, oh, good call, good any call. of the friends, Elton, yeah. Gladys, Stevie, th- those are all people who have been inducted and have inducted other people. Yeah, all the friends are in Put her in. Oh, shit. They're going to be doing it. They're going to be performing. That's what friends are for is the oh, fucking jam at the end. That's why so everybody hard. gets on. So, hard. so gets on the fucking say, oh, my God. And also, oh, okay. okay. So let's 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 roll right oh, into I'm that. I feel you so hard. What <laughs> what? So Dion gets in. What songs does she play? Three or four songs. <laughs> now, if I if I had to map it out, you know, you can do a really great assortment of songs that goes throughout her career. And you might even want to do a medley, given that there's so many. And, and there's actually a great, she was on the Ed Sullivan show and Ed calls her Dion. But she does a medley of like all her 60s hits and it's really great. But I would say she does Walk On By. She does Then Came You, brings out the spinners to get them Sets on them the ballot for next year oh, for the next year and they then do that i don't sometimes. think she remembers the spinners fondly i think she i i think there's a little bad blood there well maybe it may be you know now that it's years past that it's there's been a long time. sadly not a lot of those spinners guys are still around that's right, that's right. but you bring out the spinners and then you do then came you and then you bring out elton gladys stevie and with the spinner still there and anybody else who was inducted that and year. then everybody else who's in so then you have tina then you have carol king you have carol and you have elton on two pianos they're looking at each other they're <laughs> dueling they're dueling, they're dueling <laughs> pianos oh this is good this is really good and <laughs> And then you you also have like the Go-Go's doing harmonies as well. Like you have a bunch of wild things all happening to that's what friends are for. That could be the jam. Like I, it'd I be a very Jose, weird one. San Jose, you can't leave off. San Jose is a, is a giant, giant. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that maybe that first section needs to be a medley so that a you medley, can fit yeah. all those things in. And you, I think you could do it in a, in a way that would I be I think fun. Elton is the guy inducting is a good call though. That's the big marquee name, you know, that uh, HBO would be happy with. Dion would be happy with. Elton would be happy to do it. Was HBO yeah. would be very angry if they chose me. <laughs> <laughs> People would get fired for that. <laughs> uh, well, I, I know that you're not thrilled with the institution, but if Dion Warwick was inducted into the Rock Hall, would you go to the ceremony? Uh, <laughs> what if we were no. going? We, we I mean, will be going. 
If it was in Durham, North Carolina, then yes, I, I would. <laughs> if I had to travel for it, no. I mean, I really, I dislike awards presentations so much. Mm-hmm. The only ones I want to go to are the ones like at my children's schools. You know, like, I love those. But otherwise, like award shows, I don't watch them. I don't watch the Grammys. I don't watch the Oscars. I, I don't like them. If I was in Cleveland that night and somebody gave me a ticket, I would go. Okay, <laughs> fair. Maybe we'll just have to send you updates when we go. Yeah. We'll play send by you a little, and we'll, we'll take well, I mean, some here's the thing. If I was invited, of course, I wouldn't be rude and go, oh, no, I'm not going to an awards show. It's like if somebody invited me to come see Dionne Warwick get inducted, I'd go, yes, I'm I'm there. I'm there all night, you know, so, but uh, I'm kind of a hermit. I will travel to go see Maryland Death Fest in Baltimore because they will have 65 death metal bands playing in the course of three days. But short of that, <laughs> I don't do a lot of traveling to see music and stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Well, I want to thank you for doing the show. I really appreciate you making the time for this. This was a lot of fun. I had a good time. It was really good to meet you. Yeah. And I want to give you the opportunity to plug or promote anything that you want, anything you've got out, anything that's coming out, anything you're excited for. (laughs) I'm so bad at plugging. (laughs) I'm really not. I mean, it's like I, my, my first inclination is to go to Spotify and go, what was I listening to this morning that I want people to hear? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I want people to hear a band called Special Request, which is techno music. And it's really, they're making some great, I want people to hear Pie Corner Audio. Pie Corner Audio is this British e- electronica project that does incredible stuff. The Mountain Goats have a bunch of stuff out. We always have stuff out. And like, you know, I hope people enjoy it. And my, my position about my own work is that the people who need it will find it. And I don't, I don't need to be pitching it. It's okay. Like, when I get a chance to plug, I want to I wanna say, you know, have you heard Pie Corner Audio? Those guys make some spooky sounding John Carpenter soundtrack kind of stuff. You know, you need to hear Pie Corner. It's P-Y-E, Corner Audio. You know, or, or Moore Mother from Philadelphia. Have you heard Moore Mother? But she's doing incredible work uh, right now. This is all kind of experimental music. Th- these people will not be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's part of why I judge the Hall of Fame. Well, I love that. Yeah, I yeah. also, I love a good using your plugs for others. So, well, I mean, I think, uh, full move. For me, it's one of the privileges of being in, if people want to talk to me, I found out about the stuff I'm into from people I looked up to going, oh, you got to go listen mm-hmm. to this. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and I would go, oh, wow. You know, Ann Wilson is covering uh, Led Zeppelin, who I didn't care about when I was into heart. Like everybody else said they were great. I hadn't really heard their stuff. Then I saw Hart and they covered a Zeppelin tune. So I look up Zeppelin, you know, and it's like that, mm-hmm. that's one of the, it's one of the, it's one of the most fun things about having a little bit of, of shine is like you can you could you could change people's lives by telling them something cool they haven't heard of you know yeah really? that's, that's great well our listeners know you can follow us at rockallpod on twitter and instagram rockallpod at gmail.com if you want Kristen to see your email you need to put her name somewhere in there otherwise I'm not going to forward it and she doesn't want to read it uh, <laughs> subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts rate and review us five stars only anything less than five is rude thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo thank you to Yusu Kim for the music thank you to AKG for Kristen's microphone sound of crisp and notice I noticed that you don't have the accursed Shure SM7 and I was extraordinarily impressed I and that's a here. that's a nice microphone repping AKG repping AKG all Thank you, AKG. Yeah. And thank you, of course, to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And I'm John Darnell. And who cares about the Rock Hall? <laughs> <laughs>